0: The reading is from Deuteronomy, chapter 6, reading verses 1 to 8, and it's on page 185 185 in the Church Bibles. Deuteronomy, chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, one family I know who do impress the word of the Lord upon their children is the Hardings family, and so they're going to, a great example to us, look at them all in the front row, eager. So they're going to pop up now and give us a short account of themselves and all that they've been doing and how it is in that far-off place called Malaysia. James, you've got a microphone, and uh, this is completely unplanned and unscripted now. About
2: um, 15 months ago, it seemed completely out of the blue. Um, my theological college, where I was a lecturer, um, were given the go-ahead to start up a new college in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And uh, by the end of that day, we would kind of agreed to going out there for three months or four months. And that was a Thursday... And by the uh, Sunday, we'd agreed to a year. And then come the November, it had turned into a three-year stint as Archbishop Moon Hing, who is the Archbishop of Southeast Asia, said, I want you to stay out until your students graduate and they get ordained, those that are training in the Anglican Church. And so we went out, not knowing what to expect But within a matter of weeks, we'd gathered 40 students to start in their first year training, which is quite remarkable. If any of you know the numbers in many of the UK theological colleges, um, that's quite remarkable. And I'm gonna talk about them in a little bit. I'm gonna put up a picture and talk about just a few of them uh, that I want to share with you in a moment. But before then, I think Kate is going to share about her work, and we're going to ask the kids some questions as well.
3: Okay, yes, I. Oh. Okay, um, I have a life in Malaysia as well. Um, I work for a charitable foundation that that is improving education for um, primarily refugees in KL. So that keeps me very busy, as well as these three keeping us busy. Um, we've got a few questions. So firstly, guys, what's the biggest difference between England and Malaysia? Okay, Noah first. The weather and traffic. (laughs) What's different about the traffic, Noah? It's very, very busy. It's crazy. (laughs) Um, Okay, and what, Elsie, what's your favorite thing about being in Malaysia? Swimming. It's a big hit. Um Agnes. How is how school? It's pretty much the same as here because it's an English curriculum. Yeah, just a bit hotter. Um okay guys. Anything else you want to add? Oh. Food. <laughs> Another very good thing about being Malaysia is the food. Um okay, what's your favorite? Want on me. So, one wonton meat is a Chinese dish. No, uh, Elsie? Chicken rice. Chicken rice, another, yeah, Hainanese, another type of Chinese dish. Agnes. Spicy Indian food. Spicy Indian food, yes. Yeah. So, that's, that's general life.
2: Brilliant, brilliant. Um, great stuff. Um, I just thank you guys. Um, I just want to tell you just just for a few minutes about what's happened over the course of the year. We gathered 40 students and basically we realized that in Malaysia, if you feel a call to any kind of Christian ministry, you need to give up your job and move with your family somewhere um, three or four hours from the nearest city. It's actually in the jungle and train there three or four years full time. And it's very academic, but there's very little practical experience. And so the crisis was that less and less people were feeling able to go forward because it's such a big cost to their families. That they felt called to the workplace as well. That is a calling and vocation, too. And that they were going, those that did go through training were coming out and then needing to learn some on the job skills. Afterwards. And so the St. Melitus model in London that Kirsty, um, not Kirsty, Simon's training through, um, that um, Jackie's training through, a few of other people here have trained through, seemed ideal to the bishops and the archbishops there, where basically two or three days a week you're on the job in a church and then you train part time alongside it. So, we offered this model, and, um, and it started back in August of last year, and uh, it's really exciting. As you can see, this are, these are a few of our students. We've got Malay Malay, Indian Malay, Chinese Malay. We've got two types of Bumiputra Malay, which are the indigenous tribal groups. So, up there, there are two people up there who their grandfathers were headhunters. Um, in fact, one of them up there shows a picture of her with her dad, her granddad, her great-granddad, her great-great-granddad, and her great-great-granddad all at the same time. That's what they used to talk. It was the um, it was the heads hanging over the mantelpiece. Um, but but we're really excited about the start of the new year. We started with 40 students. We finished with 40 students. Um, which is quite remarkable. Um, I think we'll get about 35 going back into their second year, um, where they'll be studying ecclesiology, the the church, what is the church, ethics, um, some further stuff like that. Um, And I've interviewed 32 students for the new first year, and I've got another 10 to interview in my diary. Um, So we could have as many as 80 students um, in a in a few weeks time. I think it will be more like 70 but we could have as many as 80. I want to pick out just a few for you in particular because you might have heard about a month or so back um, that we were raising money for two or three of them in particular to pay for their tuition fees. This guy here is Peter. Peter is a Chin Burmese refugee who fled Burma for uh, religious persecution um, a number of years ago. And he is running a refugee school, and he's seen as a pastor for the Chin refugee community. But he has no theological training whatsoever, and he really struggles with the academic studies. But I said to him, we have to get you on the course. It doesn't matter how hard you're finding it. We need to train you because we see that God has got his hand on your life and we want you to pastor the Chin refugee people here in Malaysia that have fled Burma. This guy up in the corner here, he is... Chin refugee as well, a Christian refugee from Burma, and he is a worship pastor in the very large Chin refugee church that meets in our home church back in Malaysia. Um, For those of you know uh, his style, he plays, he leads worship with a seven-string Charvel Jackson guitar. You can imagine um, it's quite rock oriented but, um, and, but we, we've, we've committed as well to trying to fund him and also his wife Lam Lam she runs all the kids and youth work um, and she's doing an amazing job she's starting in uh, this August um, and the amazing th- the, the terrible thing is that Burmese refugees in Malaysia have all educational rights denied to them So Katie, with her work um, with a refugee school, one of the few providers of education for kids and teenagers. And actually, they stay in uh, school till till adult life until they've got their education, uh, because it's quite difficult. But there's no higher education. So these two guys here, um, their only way of getting a degree at all is through studying with us. And so I want to thank you all and honour you all and bless you all because I know that you've raised some money and they're the guys that you are supporting to train as pastors for the Burmese refugee community in Malaysia. And I just want to say thank you and give you a round of applause. Can we give them a round of applause? Brilliant. Thank you,
1: guys. Stay there. So... Before the service, James was with us uh, in the prayer room and he just said how they feel that this is their home church, this is where uh, they belong. And uh, so you do. You do belong among us and we pray for you and we uh, want to encourage and bless you where you go. So it would be good if uh, John, our warden, uh, would come and Nadia, our assistant warden, would come and uh, Katie and the children would come and maybe one or two of the prairie people, um, Leslie and uh, Sue, and we're going to say uh, a few prayers for your well-being and good, good state before the Lord.
4: Lord, we thank you for safety and security for these guys in the last year. We want to thank you for keeping them together as a family, adjusting to new, um, to new language, new customs, wonderful new food and traffic and weather. Lord, we want to thank you that your hand has been with them. And we want to just commit ourselves as a church to really praying them on. We want to thank you for their heart to come back and share the wonderful things that have been going on. And Lord, we want to thank you for that passion for learning and to be leaders in your kingdom in Kuala Lumpur throughout that region. Lord, we bless you and we thank you for them as a family and as dear friends to us. Amen. And as the children, Lord, are growing physically, we pray,
2: Lord, that they will be spiritually, that they would be lions for you, that they would soar like an eagle and roar with your word.
4: Amen. Father, we thank you for this family being willing to listen to you and to follow your leading. We thank you that each of them, the three children and husband and wife, are all serving you out in Malaysia. And as they gather even more students, I pray that you will give them all the resources they need, the strength to know that you will do the work through them. And we want to honor them and bless them in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.
3: And yes, Lord, we just declare your word upon them that you will remain their shepherd and they will not lack wisdom, direction, guidance, provision, for you have not given them a spirit of fear, but you have given them power, love, and a sound mind to make right decision. For he that is in them is greater than the one in the world, and they can do all things through you, Christ, who will always strengthen them. In Jesus' name,
4: amen. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray a fresh anointing on this family. Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to come right now. Lord, fill them up, fill them up with you. And Lord, we, as we as a church commit ourselves to be reminded to pray for this family as they do this mighty work for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our gospel reading can be found on page 991. No, sorry, 990. 990. It's Matthew 22, beginning to read at verse 33. Yeah, it is 991, sorry. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, Tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Thanks be to God for that reading.
2: It's so good to be back with you all. Um, we love this church and we love being part of what God is doing here. Back in August of last year, um, as I began to think about and, and prepare and pray about heading out to Kuala Lumpur to start this new theological college, I asked God for a Bible verse, some words from Scripture that the new college could have, as its, its slogan, its, its logo, its, its strapline, its, its vision statement, some carefully chosen words from Scripture that summed up what St. Paul's theological college in Malaysia what we were all about, what we ain't to do, where we were going. I mean, after all, that's what theological colleges do, right? (laughs) They all have one. Cranmer Hall in Durham has, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. St. John's College Nottingham has, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. What was Bristol? No idea what Bristol's was. On its website is uh, something about the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And, and there are really good verses uh, for theological colleges. Uh, really good ones, aren't they? You know, that kind of, uh, it gives you a vision or direction, what you're all about. Well, as I prayed about this, I asked the Lord for a verse. I couldn't quite come up with a whole verse. Couldn't quite come up with a whole verse. The words I kept coming back to were this. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. It's not even a whole verse, it's the first quarter of the great commandment found in Matthew 22 37. Love the Lord your God, and the last quarter the mind bit of the rest of the verse. It's leaving out the heart and the soul's bits. It's, it's only half a verse. It's, it's only two-fifths of a verse if you read the longer Luke and Mark versions. And I'm like, Lord, is that all you've got to give me? Is that it? To start a new theological college in Malaysia, halfway around the world, half a verse, just 10 words, but that was it. That's what God gave me. Love the Lord your God with all Your mind, and as I prayed and reflected on what this meant, I realised that's enough. That's enough for me. That's enough for us at St Paul's Theological College in Malaysia. There's enough goodness and richness here in this half of verse to keep me going, to not just for a year, but for as long as it takes to get my forty my 70, 80, my, in two years' time, my 90 100 students through to their graduation and their ordination. And, And as I've chewed on it and I've hummed on it and I've wrestled with it, I've come up with just a few thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. Is that okay? Yeah, good, good stuff. The first was that I'd say that my 40 students in Malaysia, we had them up earlier. Maybe we can get them back up again, Graham, just to look at. They were doing the love the God bit with their hearts, loving God with their souls bit really well. Like you guys here, our 18 months, two years here with you, we realized that you guys love worship. You love charismatic services, singing those contemporary worship songs Drums and guitars and keys, the hands in the air stuff, the full of the spirit stuff, the experiential hearts, the feelings and the emotion side of loving God. But I think the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of Christians in our day and age, not just here in the West, but throughout the world, they, that we've recovered something of that. But my 40 students needed a bit of support, some encouragement, some direction, some vision casting, some motivation with the mind bit, with the intellectual, the rational, the gray matter bit of loving God. I wonder if you can connect with that. I wonder if we here as a church can identify with that. James, I can do the heart bit, but don't ask me to do the head bit. I can do the emotions, the feeling, the singing, but don't ask me to think about it too hard or to try and explain it. The great revivals that began in Wales and in Azusa Street in California, just before the First World War, the great legacy of those revivals was to breathe life and energy from the spirit into stale and dry churches. And, and in a certain sense, I'm sure that you can trace a legacy from Meagate all the way back to those events. It wouldn't be too difficult. And and, and a theology, an emphasis of a theology of heart and soul and feeling and experience became so important. And I praise God for it. For those of you who know that my own family's story of conversion or my own personal testimony will know how important that the filling, the power and the presence of the Spirit is to me and my family. But I think in recovering the heart, the charismatic movement has at times neglected the mind. And we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I laughed as I wrote that down because I said that recently in Malaysia, it didn't quite work (laughs) cross-culturally. I spent 10 years studying theology at university, and I've been lecturing in theology for 14 years now. I can't ever believe it when I say that. And many, many times I've seen firsthand in many churches a resistance to the idea that Christians should be concerned with developing their minds, that Christians should be concerned with loving God, with not just the heart. But we've also the mind. You see, for many, the idea feels risky. There's a fear of losing control, being out of your depth. Where will this quest lead me? After all, we've all heard a version of the apocryphal story of how the fervent young evangelical heads off to Bible college and ends up getting into a, a weird, progressive, mystical, pagan. Feminist eco liberalism. It's the stuff of legends. I mean, just look what happened to Tim after his time in Bristol. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can say that, Tim, because you're so not any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> or for some, when it comes to loving God with the mind, there can be a sense of guilt or inadequacy about the whole topic. You know, I've worked with many adult learners, people that have come back to education to study theology, to train for ministry at the age of 60, at the age of 65, who left school at 15. And often adult learners can have a deep sense of insecurity about their own intellectual abilities. And so defensiveness is put up, a false sense of pride, a form of self-protection, Protecting you from feeling embarrassed about not knowing something. No one wants to look stupid. But remember, you are called to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Not with all of my mind or with all of Tim's mind. Or or with all of C.S. Lewis's mind. Or with all of Martin Luther's mind. Or even with all of Kirsty's mind. I asked if I could do that earlier on. <laughs> and this means that you should be working on and studying and reflecting on and wrestling with understanding the scriptures and trying to get you grips with the things of God at the same level and depth that you do in your day job. Your teaching, your accounting, your parenting, your nursing. That's how much effort you should be putting into thinking about Scripture and God. The same to love God with all your mind. It's your mind. But for many of us, there's been a distortion of the meaning of faith. We've been taught a theology that says faith is a matter of the heart only. It's nothing to do with the head. Faith is opposed to, separate from reason, You might have heard of sermons um, on Jesus' teaching about the importance of being like little children in order to enter the kingdom of God. And people conclude things like, oh, we don't need theology, we need faith, or don't think, just believe. But that's not what Jesus is getting at here When Jesus tells us to become like a little child, it has nothing to do with the mind, the intellect, study, reason, or thinking. It's directed against being self-sufficient, proud, and arrogant. So to, to enter the kingdom like a little child means to be humble. It means to recognize your need, your helplessness, to be willing to trust in God to do for you what you can never do for yourself. And the opposite of being like a little child isn't being intelligent or critically thinking or theologically well-read, but being proud, stiff-necked, and self-reliant. Friends, we cannot escape that loving God with all your mind, means using your mind. That, that word mind isn't a metaphor for something else here. It means mind. But there's one other little thought tucked away in this half of a verse that I want to share with you for a moment. We are called to love God with all our mind, not know him with all our mind. Isn't that interesting? I get that we're called to love him with all our hearts. But shouldn't that then say know him with all our minds? What's the difference between knowing God with the mind and loving him with the mind? Well, I haven't fully worked that one out yet. But it has led me to insist that before every teaching session at St. Paul's Theological College in Malaysia, we begin the lecture with a time of corporate sun worship and prayer. And we end with prayer. We begin our thinking, we begin our reasoning, we begin our questioning from a place of telling Jesus that we love him. And that we turn our hearts and attention once again to him. We begin thinking by telling him that we adore him, that we're nothing without him, and we can do nothing apart from him. And you know what? That changes the questions we ask. And it changes the answers that we give. As we start to engage our minds and wrestle with the deep things of God from a place of love. We move from a faculty of mind as the place of knowing to a faculty of mind that is the place of loving. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at when he says, very carefully, and let's remember Jesus is giving a careful answer to a tricky question designed to trick him up, trip him up. He very carefully says, Love God with your heart and love him with your mind. He's being careful with his words. And what he's saying here is by using the words love and mind together is that you have to do the loving, feeling, heart stuff. And you also have to do the mindful, rational, thinking head stuff. You can't keep the great commandment if you say, oh, I'm a heart type of Christian. I don't do the rational head stuff. I leave that to Tim. And you can't keep the great commandment if you say, but I'm a head type Christian. I'll leave the emotional heart stuff to someone else, to Kirsty." You see, I spent half my sermon talking about the dangers of when the Christian life is all heart and no head. And it's a mile wide and an inch deep. But the answer to that, to uh, immature spirituality, isn't to stop feeling and experiencing and only become a critical thinking academic Christian. Because if the, if, if the focus of your spirituality is only on the life of the mind, then it's possible to acquire knowledge but to remain Puffed up, to use St. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 8. So knowledge pursued in the absence of love, in the absence of the heart, serves only to prop up a false perception of yourself. Because we sit there critiquing, judging, and picking apart sermons, not in order to love God with our minds, but simply to reconfirm that I don't need to change. And our heads stay full but our hearts remain empty. And so the answer, I'm coming into land here, to a superficial, immature spirituality is not to stop feeling, is not to stop experiencing and only become a critical thinker. And so too the answer to dry, puffed up head knowledge isn't to lose your mind completely, and abandon all depth and understanding. But the great commandment to love God with the mind means that you guys need to bring heart and head together. We must cultivate tender hearts to go with vigorous minds. We must cultivate robust minds to go with compassionate hearts. If your spiritual life is all worship music, no Bible study, or all Bible study and no worship, why don't you join with us at St. Paul's Theological College Malaysia and do what we do. Begin and end your study with worship, prayer, and devotion. And as you spend time with Jesus, who actually was both the wisest man who ever lived and the most loving man who ever lived, who both knows you fully and yet loves you completely. Spend time with him. He is the one we are called to love with all of our minds. Amen.